And uh, Danny, how are you doing over there, man? You all right? Not throbbing? Itchy? We will pray against the itch. Because it's maddening. It's maddening. I've been there. We will pray against that, okay? <clears throat> we will rebuke it. Alright, this is what. How did it happen against Kimboarding? That's how I did mine. Um, yeah, this is why I don't do these sports. It's so, like, dangerous and uns unsafe. They hurt. Alright, ready to go? Alright, let's. Uh, pray first, then I'll read our text, which will be John 12, verses 27 through 36, and then we will um, talk about it for a little bit, and hopefully the Lord will uh, send His Spirit and, and do His work in our hearts, because we desperately uh, need Him. So um, let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your goodness this morning. I thank You that You... you Take delight in revealing yourself to your children. I, I, I thank you so much that you, um, not needing us for anything, out of your goodness and glory and grace and mercy, you freely have chosen to display your, your glory to us and allow us to see your beauty and allow us to love and welcome your beauty, your holiness in our lives. I thank you that uh, you transform us through your word, um, and I pray that this morning you would transform us through your word. I, I pray that you make me faithful, and that uh, you reach not only our minds, but our hearts as well, so that uh, we can love you with um, everything we got. And uh, in Jesus' name, uh, we ask you for all of these things. Amen. Okay, this is what the text says. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, quote, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, An angel spoke, has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. While you have the light, walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. 
we'll stop right here and then we will start from the beginning where Jesus says that for this purpose he has come. I mean, the context clearly talks about his death because just a few verses earlier he said that if a grain of wheat does not fall on the ground and dies, it will not bear any fruit. But in this context of his death, we see once again how passionate God is about his glory. God doing everything for His glory. We see that Jesus' death is God's glory. That God's glory is displayed on the cross. From verse 27, He states the purpose that for this I have come. Right? And then, verse 28, He prays for that purpose, which is, God, glorify Your name. In other words, Father, accomplish your purpose. Now, it is important for us to see that in God's mind, God comes first. It is important for us to keep that in mind because in our minds, He doesn't always come first. If we're honest, God doesn't always come first in our minds. How many times do we abandon Him because life is not comfortable? I mean, provided that many times it is not for a long period of time, nor if you're a Christian, nor for a definite, in a definite, decisive way that you abandon God once you have known and, and tasted of His saving power. Nevertheless, we do put ourselves in other created things first many times in this sin-broken world. But in God's mind, it's never like that. This is the deepest reason why we love God's glory and we ought to live for it. It's because God loves God's glory and lives for it. And He shares it with us, meaning He allows us to see it to behold it, to marvel at it, to experience it. Exactly because of that. Because He is glorious, because He abounds with grace and truth. And isn't that what we need? We need grace. We need the truth. And He overflows with that. And He allows us to partake and take joy in this overflow of His goodness. I'll quote from, from one author that he says it like this. The deepest reason why we live for the glory of God is because God lives for the glory of God. We are passionate about God's glory because God is passionate about God's glory. End quote. Now, Jesus here is being, once again, a great example for us. He is about to die. It's not going to take very long. He's going to be died unjustly. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be tortured. He's going to go through tremendous pain. In the forefront of his mind, the glory of God is his main interest and longing. That in the pains of this life, he wants to see God being glorified. And he prays for it. Father, I am going to die. I came for this. 
Please glorify yourself. Accomplish your purpose. God is going to glorify himself in the reconciliation of sinners in, uh, with him in through the death of Christ, he's going to glorify himself by casting the ruler of this world out through the death of Christ. He's going to call of his sheep to him through the death of Christ. And, and Jesus is just longing to see that happening. And that is his prayer. And he addresses a very natural temptation that all of us can have. We don't like pain. No one wants to be nailed to a cross. No one wants to, to, to experience the wrath of God and the tremendous emotional pain that that can cause. But he says, no, first comes God, God's glory. Even at the cost of his own life, Jesus doesn't only call us, in verse 25 of this, this chapter, He doesn't only call us to, quote-unquote, hate our lives, but He exemplifies it right there. He lives it so that we can see it. He lives it right in front of our eyes. You know, if you try to keep your life, we'll lose it. Now, for you to follow Me, you have to hate your life. Everything created, do not let it take the place of my Father in your heart. Do not let it take the throne. All of these created things, they come after. You enjoy them for the sake of the glory of God. You do not put them in front of God or above God. And He here puts the glory of God before His own life, His own heart beating. His own blood pumping through his veins. His own comfort and, and, and lack of pain. I mean, laser beam focus. The glory of God. This is his greatest joy. And this, is, this should be our greatest joy. And if and when it's not, we should fight for it as hard as we can. Because there will be pains and, and affections and many things in this world that will wage war against our joy in God. But it is His joy that is our strength. We need to keep that in mind. We need to put the mind of Christ on. And this is the way to live, to pursue God's glory. Because that is where the greatest joy is. So if you want to be happy, this is the way to go. This is the way to go. The book of Hebrews says that Jesus did it because of the joy that was set before Him. He wanted this joy. And He wasn't going to let pain come in the way of His greatest joy, seeing the Father glorified in the redemption of His people. And in the damnation of sin. His justice being enacted against sin. So the first, if we can say that this text, it, it radiates many aspects of God's glory. Um, I don't know if, if it sounds very poetic, but I decided to call it beams of glory. Um, the first one that we see in verse 31 is the judgment of this world. God's glory in the judgment of this world. Verse 31. Now 
is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. The world was being judged on the cross of Christ. Now, we all know, we read the Bible a little bit, and intuitively we know that there will be a judgment day. Even secular movies will make mention to the judgment day. That one, uh, you know, the great white throne of Revelation chapter 12 where Jesus just wraps up history. He ends history as we know it and He will forever, once and for all, reward those that have lived for Him, that have come to faith in Him and He will forever punish those who have rejected and spurned His glory. That was that's the final judgment, that's judgment day, the final one that will happen, it's still in the future. But Jesus here says, now, on this verse Jesus says, now. I mean, you all know that that final judgment, it's to this day, it's still in the future. But Jesus is saying, 2,000 years ago, he's saying, now is the judgment of this world. On that cross, the world was being judged. The sin of the world was being punished on the bloody back of Jesus. Our God will not let sin go unpunished. He is a just God. And He won't allow anybody to get away with sin, with burning His glory and hating Him who is the source of life, the, the fountain of living water, the fountain of life. On the cross of Christ, the law is upheld, His justice is upheld, and for those who believe in Jesus, their sins were being punished. His, their death is being put upon Jesus. They are receiving, in Jesus, they are receiving the just reward for their sin. Romans says that the wages of sin is death. If you have come to Christ, you have died on that cross. You have received the just, full, punished for your sin. And Jesus says, it is finished. Romans 8 says that there is no more wrath for you. There is no more condemnation left for you. The wrath of God was exhausted on Jesus Christ at the cross. That what event? For those who do not, they will receive the just wages for their sin. For those who Look at God and see Him sending His own Son to rescue a sin-broken world. And they say, no, I get it. I got it. I, I'm a good person. I don't need your mercy. You owe me bringing me to heaven to live eternally blessed. Because I'm a good person. I've earned it. In essence... What we say when we have an attitude like that is, God is indebted to us. What we do is that we compare ourselves to people that we deem to be morally worse than us, and then we look good. 
it's a natural temptation. People do that in marriage. People do that in relationships, at work. You know, how many times people, people want to compare, you know, their poor performance at work against another employee, another colleague's worst performance? Well, that, that doesn't do any good for the company. You know, that does not earn anything. That does not earn a, a promotion. You know, or, or in marriage, it's like, yeah, I hit you, but I never, at least I didn't cheat on you. I mean, it's silly when we put these illustrations up, but when you say to God, I'm not Hitler, so? Yeah, you compare your best against their worst, it's still pretty bad. So God is not going to allow this because He is a just judge. He's not going to allow this to go unpunished forever. He's not going to allow any sin in His sinless heaven, His sinless eternity that He has prepared for us. That will be not even, not even a presence of sin. So those who reject Him, those who turn their backs on their Creator, the One who sustains them breathing, will receive that death that Christ died upon themselves. The cross affirms, this is the wages of death. Look at my son. The wages of sin, rather. Look at my son. The wages of sin is death. Look at what he has gone through. Look at what he is going through. Why won't you come? Why have you forsaken me? Come to Jesus. Why would you live? Why would you die this horrible death? The cross this morning speaks loudly. This is the wages of sin. The wrath of the cross says that the wrath of God remains against sin upon everyone who reject God. The wrath of God against sin remains upon those who don't trust Him. As the Lord Himself said in, uh, in John 3, there's two verses that I want to mention. One is John 3.18, in that great conversation that Jesus had with uh, Nicodemus, a great theologian of their day. John 3.18, he says this. He's talking about himself, the Son of Man, right? And he goes, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. I mean, isn't that what we are saying here, that the cross says? Or again, in John 3.36, he says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. End quote. The God of the universe, the righteous judge, will not let sin go unpunished. We have said here many times, you want just a just judge. 
You do not want God to be an unjust God. Can you imagine if He's ruling the universe and He is unjust? He's not pure in character. He doesn't love holiness. That would be a horrible universe and a hopeless eternity. But praise be to God that is not the reality. That's not His character. The second beam of glory that we see, still in verse 31, is the defeat of the ruler of this world. Jesus says, Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Or is cast out. Right? He says it in the present. Now, uh, I believe that Satan is the ruler of this world in this passage right here. Um, I get that from many, from many verses in the Bible. Um, the Bible refers to Satan as the one ruling this sin-broken world in the sense that the world is living passionately and running towards sin as fast as the world can. In this, in this uh, uh, gospel, in the language of John, he frequently uses the word world um, as a, a, um, a reference to, with the meaning of a system of ideas, philosophies, and practice that runs passionately against God and towards sin, from God into sin, that opposes God in everything it thinks and does and accomplishes. That's the main meaning of, of the word world in, in John's, in the Apostle John's uh, language. So here when he says, the ruler of this world, I believe he's talking about Satan. Uh, the context also makes it a little bit clear. We read this morning 2 Corinthians 4, and I did not ask uh, uh, Bob Drapes to read it. Uh, he, he just brought it up, and that was uh, the reading of today. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, uh, the Apostle Paul says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. Then in John, the same gospel, uh, John 16.11, he says, Jesus says, the ruler of this world is judged. That obviously cannot refer to God because his God is not judge. He is the judge. Uh, so that's John 16, 11. In John 14, 30 and 31, we see his defeat. Right? We see his uh, being cast out. Satan being cast out. This is what it says. I'll start with, with John 30 and then I'll read 31. Jesus says, I will no longer talk much with you. For the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. In a second, I'll say why this speaks to his defeat. Uh, but I do as the Father has commended me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. So, Jesus is saying, I'm not going to, I don't even have time to talk much with you anymore. I'm not going to walk with you uh, for much longer. I'm going to die. <laughs> this is what's happening. The ruler of this world, he's coming after me. And as we know, since the first mention of the gospel in the Bible in Genesis 3.15, is that, the rule of this world, or Satan, would bruise Jesus' heel. He would hurt. He would attack and hurt Jesus. But the verse doesn't end there. It says that Jesus would crush his head. Now, I'll take a bruised heel over a, a crushed head any day. Satan is defeated. Right? He's saying, 
Pay attention to what he says in John 30. He says, I'm going to die. He's going to do this thing to me. He's going to cause betrayal. He's going to enter Judas and um, cause Judas to, to lie about me and to sell me out. I'm going to die. The wages of, we couple that with the wages of sin is death. Jesus is being judged on the cross. What is Satan doing? Does he have any claim on Jesus? Jesus is like, no, no, no. He has nothing on me. He has absolutely nothing on me. You move a little bit in the Bible, you see that um, Revelation 12, when John is given a vision, he sees way in the future. Uh, he sees in John 12:10, we see Satan being the accuser of the brothers. Satan accuses us every day, all the time in the courtroom of heaven. I don't know about you, but Satan has a lot on me. There's a lot of dirt. And that is the one weapon that Satan has against me. I deserve to go to hell. I deserve to be punished by God for my sin. I cannot do anything to appease God's wrath and earn His positive blessing and, and grace. Grace wouldn't even be grace. And Satan has that on me. I have done and felt a lot of things that rejects the glory of God, that rejects God's righteous position of being the creator and ruler of eternity. God's sovereignty, God's holiness. I fought against it and I ran from it, from His beauty, and I rejected His sacrifice for many, many years. Satan has that on me. But then, God gives John a future apocalyptic vision. And in, in Revelation 12.10, uh, I really think this clues us in as to Satan being cast out. It says this, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. The accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. Who accuses them day and night before our God. On the cross, all the nasty things I've felt and done and fought, and all my rejection and rebellion against God was punished in Jesus on His bloody back, on His distress, on His misery that He carried out, that He suffered an eternity in my place. And now, I am absolutely sinless in the eyes of God. Absolutely perfect. It is legally in the courtroom of heaven. It is as if I had loved my God from the day that I was conceived till now and to the day I will die. It is as if I had loved Him with all of my mind, heart, soul, and strength for every second of my life. It is as if I had blessed God with all of my existence for every breath I took, every moment that I have walked upon this earth. 
I only delighted perfectly in God because that is how Jesus lived. And the righteousness of Jesus is mine. And that happened, that was accomplished, that was secured, that was purchased on the cross. When Jesus died my death, when Jesus took my punishment, on that cross the judgment of God was being poured out on Jesus. The world was being judged. And now this one weapon that Satan had against me, he doesn't anymore. He gets to the courtroom of heaven. God is on His throne as the just judge ruling the universe eternally. He opens up His folder on me and it's empty. That's embarrassing. You get to the trial and, and you the prosecutor and you got nothing on the guy. You would get cast out of the courtroom, wouldn't you? Judge would be like, get out of here. You dishonor my courtroom. You have nothing on this guy. He's innocent. He's the best citizen that has ever lived. The one weapon that Satan had against the brothers or against the church, against the elect, against those who had been purchased by the blood of Jesus, that had been rescued and ransomed to God from the wrath of God, has been taken away. He was defeated in the fact that Satan fought as hard and as dirty as he could to derail God's plan. Jesus' atonement for his sheep. He tried. He fought dirty. He kicked below the belt. He wanted Jesus to disobey God. He wanted Jesus to put food before God. Jesus was hungry. He offered him a banquet. He knew that those rocks, they can become steak. Do it. He wanted Jesus to tempt his God. Well, why don't you jump? God can, God can save you. Why don't you tempt your God? See, all of this world, you can do what I'm doing now. We can be partners in this. I can, you can rule this thing if you just abandon God. I'll give you all, this, all these kingdoms of the world. I'll give them to you. Just walk away from God. He wanted to derail God's plan and cause Jesus not to accomplish the atonement of His people, to not take on His back, on His body, the sins of the world, to not become sin, even though He didn't know sin. But He wanted Jesus to not become sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. He tried and He did not succeed. He failed because Jesus wanted the glory of God. He loved the presence of the Father too much to let food power get in the way of Him enjoying His God and loving His God and loving His Father that He knew like no one did. I mean, I wonder, I wonder how much we long for that and how much we fight for that and how much that truth of what Jesus did empowers us to live the same way, 
to fight for the same emotions and same affections for God. It is definitely my prayer. I know that I have long ways to go, but I want to be like that. I want to grow in holiness, in the pursuit of holiness. Grow in Christ and, and, and feel these affections for Christ. Now, the rule of this world is being cast out. I mean, we know that Satan is alive and at work in this world. How is he cast out? Well, he's being defeated. We just saw it. But what can he do? I mean, we experience so much. I mean, the Christian experiences a, a, a battle. Satan attacks us. But he cannot kill you eternally. He has been defeated decisively. Now, the kingdom of God in the Bible is a kingdom that has been accomplished, has been purchased, has been secured for all of us who trust in Jesus. They have been brought to faith in Jesus Christ. But it doesn't come all at once. The kingdom of God has come in our lives and we experience God's rulership and we behold His glory and holiness and we welcome it and we welcome the truth in our lives and we are being transformed daily into the image of Christ. But, I mean, can we agree that we have not experienced being perfect? We haven't had that yet. We don't know what a sinless existence is. But that sinless existence and eternity has been accomplished, secure, purchased for us. It will be delivered, God willing, soon. It will be. There's nothing that can rob us of that, that can steal that from us. Nothing. No one is powerful enough to pluck you from God's hand. That's what, that's what Jesus says in chapter 10. My Father who gives them to me is stronger than now, and no one can take my sheep out of His hands. I'm about to go Pentecostal here. <laughs> it's just too good. It's too good to be true. If it sounds too good to be true, it's because it is, but it is true. It is true. Um, what Jesus has accomplished on the cross will be delivered to us. It doesn't come all at once. So as to what pertains to the devil ruling this world, yeah, he can rough us up. Yeah, he can try and fight dirty against us and, and cause a lot of havoc and, and pain. Uh, but as Martin Luther says, um, or said, it, it, even the devil is God's devil. He's not, you know, the opposite, same strength of God. I mean, he's trying everything he can to derail us from faith in God, and, and he knows that even in that, he is accomplishing God's purposes for eternity. His sin is not excused and he will be punished and he's accumulating even more wrath for himself for eternity. But all he does is, hating us, is hate us and hate God. And it's desperate. And he can cause a lot of disorder and chaos. 
but he cannot kill us eternally. The weapon he had against the church has been taken away. And God has shown, has shown, uh, has shown the, the Apostle John in Revelation 12 that when this kingdom will be delivered, when he, was, he will be, he, Satan will be actually cast out, said it right there. The one that accuses the brothers all day and night, nonstop, has been thrown down. He's out. Now he's actually receiving his full punishment. The devil failed. The devil was cast out. Did it make any sense? Okay. The third beam of glory, the rescue of his people. Verse 32. God is glorified. The glory of God is seen, is seen on the cross of Christ by rescuing his people or drawing his people. Jesus says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Now the ESV here says all people. Why am I saying all of his people? If you have a King James Bible, at least, I don't know on a paper King James, but at least on the digital version, the word people is within parentheses. First thing why am I, that I want to mention, that I want to bring up to you um, about this one verse and why I think Jesus is talking about His people or His sheep, His elect, His church, His children, is because, I mean, one of the reasons is because uh, in the original construction of this text right here, it doesn't say people. The word is not there. The word people is not there. Jesus says, when I am lifted up from this earth, I will draw all to myself. So it is okay to ask all what? We have to ask the Bible those questions. It seems like this in this particular translation that I use, the interpreters, the, 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 the translators have asked that question. And they came up with, they have an answer. I'm sure they have great reasons for it. Um, and they have come up with an answer. It's not, I don't think it's a heresy. It's, it's a possible interpretation. Uh, it's not where I landed. Uh, I just need to be honest with you. It's not exactly where I land uh, on this. Um, so I need to share it with you. And I, I'm going to argue for it. I'm going to give you my reasons why I think Jesus is talking about his people. The, the Gospel of John is very specific about the specific effective drawing of God, what God calls effectively and irresistibly His own people to Himself. I think it, it fits the context a little bit better. We see that, and we'll, we'll see a few verses. We see that the word draw in the mouth of Jesus in the Gospel of John has been used a few times. Uh, the most significant time is, is uh, regarding to people and people being saved and, and the total depravity of men who are completely unable to love God. It's in John 6:44 where Jesus says, <laughs> and he has unbelief in, in, in mind, the context of unbelief. Jesus says, John 6:44, um, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, brings him. I mean, the other times that the word is used, it has to do with a net or a bucket where you bring um, water up from, from the well or, or a net that, that hauls fish. 
when it's talking about people and people being saved and coming to Jesus, this is how the one time that, that the word is used in the mouth of Jesus and in the gospel of John. Now, that's not decisive. People can use the same word in different contexts with different meanings. We experience that. But it does matter that we have a, like a reference where, okay, how does he use that word? It, it, does, um, it does matter that, um, that the author has used this word and uh, we can uh, ask him how he used that before and, and see how he's using it now. Is it possible that Jesus draws all people, everybody, all men, um, in a certain way that, you know, he's a very admirable character. He is a, 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 an upstanding citizen and he was a great teacher. And he attracts people from different religions. He attracts everybody. That they look at him and they're like, yeah, this is, this is a great teacher. This, he was a great man, you know. Um, that is possible. Some people take that. Some people take that. I just think it, like evidence just, just refutes it. You know, when uh, Jesus does not attract all men, Jesus does not draw everybody to him. A lot of people come in contact with what Jesus is and did, and they're like, no, that's, they completely reject it. I mean, rabbis will go on record saying, no, he was a very bad rabbi. The law is here for us to, f- to fulfill, to obey, and yeah, that is how you're saved, by your good works. When he says you don't have to keep the law, they have so- he at this point has been a very bad rabbi. I mean, old versions and some different versions of the Talmud, the rabbinic writings, get pretty nasty about Jesus. To this day, a lot of people see what is written about him uh, in the Bible, and they don't like it. They don't like his character. Some will say that he's a lunatic. Yeah, I understand there's a lot of evidence for the fact that he did say he was God. Yeah, he was crazy. I'm not attracted to that. I'm not drawn to it. So, um, I, I don't think that interpretation uh, uh, lasts very long. One interpretation that I have subscribed in the past is that he attracts people. He draws people from all uh, kinds of walks, all kinds of people when it says this. You know, I will draw all people to myself. It really means all kinds of people. Princes, peasants, rich, poor, pilots, mechanics, kings, servants, black and white from all nations. I think it's, I think it's very possible. It's not, um, I, don't, I don't have a beef against it. It's not where I landed. Like I said, I need to be honest with you. I need to have a clear conscience. Um, you definitely should t- check it out. That is, I think Jesus is talking about his his own uh, sheep. It is okay to ask. Okay, text doesn't say people. Text says all. I will draw all. All what? So we see John six forty four how he used it. Then another reason is that I think it fits the somewhat immediate context in time and in the book itself uh, of John chapter 10 the good shepherd chapter where I think if we are talking about a specific drawing an effective drawing to himself where people come to faith in him that he opens people's eyes and the rebellion is just gone because they see how beautiful it is and they go I want that he becomes irresistible because all, he becomes the greatest desire of the new heart. 
if, if the drawing that we're talking about is this, I think it really fits the somewhat immediate context of the book. And in time, not a whole lot of time had passed. Of John chapter 10. Listen to these verses. John 10 uh, verse 16. Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. It's not a possibility. It's going to happen. They will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. I mean, this isn't a mere attempt that can hypothetically fail for all or will fail for some. Like Jesus did something on the cross and he hopes that people will take it. I mean, seriously, away with this doctrine. The sacrifice of Jesus cannot, not even hypothetically, cannot fail. Can you imagine if Jesus died on the cross and, and the rest of it was totally and completely up to us in an in auto-determination fashion that he would just hope that we would take what he did and the blood of Christ is spilled to no avail? even if hypothetically. Because if it's not up to God to redeem His people, if it's up to me, ultimately, hypothetically, the sacrifice of Christ can go with no reward whatsoever. That is not what I see displayed on the pages of Scripture. The drawing of God in view here when He draws all men. It's when He draws all is of His people. He's restating what He says in John 10. John 10, 25 and 26, He says this, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in My Father's name bear witness about Me. But you don't believe because because you are not part of my flock. Look at the construction. You don't believe because you're not part of my flock. He does not say, you're not part of my flock. You know why? Because you don't believe. Meaning, eternally, you become part of His flock only if you believe. Before that, you weren't. Throughout eternity, Jesus did not have you in mind. No, He says, the reason why you're not coming to Me, or according to chapter, I'm going to put chapter 12 language in it, the reason why you're not being drawn effectively and irresistibly to Me, it's because you're in mine from the beginning. You are not mine from the beginning. This is why you stay in your rebellion. Verse 29 of chapter 10. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. It's 
saying, they're going to come to me. My Father gives them to me. They're secure in my Father's hand. I'm securing their salvation. I'm bringing them. They're being given to me. I think those words in chapter 12 of drawing his sheep, his elect, his church, his children to him, fit this context much better. So this is why I land where I landed. But again, you, you definitely should check it out. I gave you my reasons. I, I did my best. I think Jesus is very specific on, on whom he's saving and who he's talking about here. It's not a, a vague drawing. It's not a distant admiration. But it's a drawing into the family of God for eternity. He uses the term all for his elect, for his people, in, in several other times. John 6, 37, he says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. Uh, John 17, 2, he says, The Son gives eternal life to all whom you have given to me. It's not an, something that he does not use, that is not present. You know, even the Pharisees used that just a chapter ago. He said, you know, the whole world or all the world has gone after him. Well, do they mean every person who has ever lived? That's not what they meant. But it was, it was you know, the world had gone uh, um, after Jesus. You know, they, they use it in, in a way that doesn't mean every person has ever lived. Um, so another beam of glory is that God redeems, and I, I'm wrapping it up, that God redeems His children. We'll just talk about that. And that is, uh, verse 36, that we don't only, of 36 of, of our main uh, passage, that we, by being sons of God, we get to not only see the light of glory, the light of the glory of the gospel, the light of God, we get to become to become sons of light, to be His light, to walk in light. This is what verse 36 says. Jesus is wrapping up this talk. After that, on, on part B of this verse, you say, he, He'll just leave. He's going to depart and, and hide from uh, them again. But this is what He says in the first part of the verse. Um, While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When we talk about sharing the glory of God, this is what it is. You don't get just to, to look at it and behold it. You get to walk in it. You don't get to only see His holiness, but you get to partake in it. Desires change in your life. Things that you love that were sinful, they change. Your desire for them are not as strong or you desire to not desire them. Things in your life that are holy and you didn't care, you didn't give a rip about. When Jesus draws you to Him, you receive in your heart things wholly become your desire, or ambition becomes to please Him, those, th those things change and you start walking in the light, meaning you start living 
a life of holiness, the holiness of God starts being shown to you and loved to you and you, you, you long to see His glory and to walk in it. You become the light of God. You get to become sons of light, not only to watch it. You get to partake and live a life of holiness. You get the prison of sin broken. The enslavement of sin is over. Those who practice sin are enslaved to it. Those who come to know the truth, the truth sets them free the bondage that was over you to sin, if you find yourself in Christ, that bondage is over. The beginning, the first verses of chapter 2 of Ephesians, they get reversed. When you were dead in your trespasses and sins, Jesus gives you life. You're alive and now you love Him. When you were following the God, little g, God of this world doing his desires, that gets reversed. Now you're following the just judge, the God of the universe who is your father and your ambition is to please him. You get to become sons of light. So as we wrap up, you have been given weapons to live this life of holiness, to love God. You have seen in this text many beams of God's glory. It doesn't exhaust His glory, but we see His radiance. We see that He has defeated the enemy. He has taken the one weapon the enemy had against you. Satan is cast out. It's a part of the kingdom that is coming to us, will be delivered because it has been secured on the cross. It is coming. Long for it. Desire it. And use it as fuel to fight for your joy in God. You don't need to God, Satan will flee from you. That's the way to beat him. Draw near to God, Satan will flee from you. You have been given another weapon. Look at the atonement. Look at what God accomplished on the cross. Flee to him. Flee to Him. If you haven't come to Him with all you got, why won't you come? Come to Him. Look for Him. Flee to His, to, under His wings. Be taken in. Trust in Jesus. The world has been judged. If you find yourself in Him, your sins are punished. There's no wrath left for you. Rejoice in it. Just be happy. Just be happy that you're not going to get it. The death that you should die, you won't. The separation from the, the blessing, grace of God and beauty of God for eternity and instead receiving His wrath, His punishment, you don't get that. Rejoice in it. Let it make you happy when you're sad, when you don't enjoy God as you should as we, are, we were created for so the chart is simple while you have the light believe in the light that you may become sons of light we had been blinded by Satan to not see the glory of the gospel but now we see his glory 
we see the marvelous glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we get to live in it and live it. Believe in the light so that you may become sons and daughters of light. Amen? Amen. So let's pray and thank this great God for all He has accomplished for us. And then, uh, and then we will respond to this passage of Scripture and the exposition of it. And wherever it was faithful, we will respond to it with worshiping Him with our voices and, and song. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your beauty, for your glory that was shown to us this morning. I thank you for everything that you have done on the cross in Jesus for us, for your glory that is our joy. I pray that you apply this message to us and that we would put your glory first, that we would choose even affliction before we choose sin. Let us live for your glory. Let us have it in the forefront of our minds. I thank you for the weapons that you give us. I thank you that Satan has been cast out, the world has been judged, and that you draw all that are yours to yourself effectively and irresistibly. I pray that you would do great things in and through us, and that we would always acknowledge that everything is from you, for you, through you, and everything back to you. And it is in the name of our great Redeemer that we pray and thank you. Amen.